For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. towards Easter together. Our, uh, our passage this morning is a passage uh, that's recorded in three different Gospels, and it's known as the Transfiguration of Jesus. It's a passage that might be familiar to you when we read it, but this morning I, I'm wanting us to maybe look at this passage in a way that most of us probably have never thought about. Our Gospel reading this morning is in Luke chapter 9, and if you're able, would you In honor of God's word, stand as we read Luke chapter 9, verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, went up onto the mountain. And he was praying, and the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I've chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. And the disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. This is the word of God given for the people of God. And we respond together by saying, thanks be to God. You can be seated. I'm sure it hasn't escaped you that sometimes life can come up and just slap you on the back of the head. Sometimes it's a, it's a gentle little slap, and, uh, and sometimes it's, it's not so gentle. I read a story this week about a man, I think it was in Arizona, was driving down the road and going through the intersection uh, in the car, and all of a sudden the, he went through the light, and the light, uh, the camera flashed, the, the traffic cam. And he looked down, and he wasn't speeding. And, and he thought, well, I'm sure I wasn't speeding. So he did what I would never think to do. He drove around the block and tried it again. And he came around, slowed down a little bit, wanting to test this out, went through, camera flashed. He said, huh. He went around a third time, came back through the light and slowed way down to a crawl, came through, the light flashed, uh, the camera flashed, and he said, well, that thing's obviously broken because I'm not speeding at all. Didn't think anything about it until he got home and about a month later... He got three tickets in the mail, all for not wearing his seatbelt. In his book titled, Not That You Asked, TV Andy, TV's Andy Rooney lists a hundred of his most believed opinions. For instance, he says, I don't like any music I can't hum to. Some of us can relate to that. Or how about this one? He said, when I was younger, I assumed that I would like carrots when I got older. I was wrong. Or this one, this is one of my favorites. If dogs could talk, it'd take a lot of the fun out of owning one. I think we call those children. Um, Some things I should just not say. 
On a serious note, Rooney writes, I do not accept the, um, the in, in, uh, what's that word I'm looking for? Inevitability of my own death. He said, I'm holding out hope there's another way out. Andy Rooney died in 2011. But here's the thing I want you to think about that's in his book. He said this. The middle of the night, says Andy Rooney, seems longer than it used to. The middle of the night seems longer than it used to. Anybody can relate to that? If you've ever laid awake, mulling over a deep hurt or a a nagging worry, you know what he's talking about. The middle of the night can be long and lonely. The story of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration occurred at a time when the disciples were in the middle of a long night. This story is told by the gospel writers Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they give equal detail to the story. And it's significant that each one of the gospel writers introduces the telling of this story with the same word. They each introduce the story using the word after. See, the word is not just a connecting bridge. It's it's not just a a blank uh, space to fill in a, a spot of missing days. It is rather, I think, this little word after, I think, is the key that unlocks the mystery of the transfiguration. Luke begins his story, we read it earlier, like this. About eight days after Jesus said this. About eight days after Jesus said this. It's an interesting phrase to start a story with. Why is he telling us eight days in the first place? And after Jesus said what? Eight days after Jesus said this. And so I thought, well, what did he say? And so if you want to know what he said, you've got to go back a little bit. And if you go back a little bit, you'll see that Jesus is asking his disciples... Who do people say that I am? And, and then we have this moment, this, this glorious moment in which Peter makes this confession, the first time this confession is made. It's like the original Apostles' Creed. He says, thou art the Christ of God. If we were, if we were putting this to a movie, I think there would be trumpets that would begin to sound in, in that moment. For this is the first time, this is this moment in which just out and out, He says, you are the Christ. And and you know, that's the Messiah they're waiting for. And they've got all these ideas of the Messiah and who is he he going to be. And, And so they're in this crescendo moment of their relationship. And all of a sudden, Jesus leads their minds down from the celestial heights to the low depths of degradation and dishonor and death. And he says, the Son of Man is going to have to suffer many things. He's going to be rejected by the elders and the scribes and the priests. And he's going to be killed and raised up on the third day. Now, I think we know from experience that the disciples didn't even hear that last part. If they did, they wouldn't even understood it. What they heard was, is the one who they think is the Messiah, the one who is going to save the day, the one who is going to clean out the, the, the occupying powers. He is saying, I'm going to be killed. Like some fearful nightmare in that moment, the disciples' dream has been shattered. The foreshadowing of the cross falls upon their hearts, filling them with fear and gloom and striking down hope and courage and faith itself. It would almost seem as if the disciples are so unnerved and so paralyzed that there is a silence that falls on their hearts and on their lips. The next eight days are filled with silence, without a word or deed as far as the records show. 
Now, we have other places in Scripture, other places in the Gospel, where we know that there are, there are things that happen between. They're not writing down every step that they took. But here it actually talks about it. Eight days. Why include eight days there? Unless you're, you're trying to understand that this eight days, it's been eight days since Jesus said this. This is what's been on their heart for the last eight days. This is what's been going through their mind for eight days. The one who they put their hope in says, your expectations are wrong. I'm going to die. The transfiguration. The transfiguration is placed exactly where it is because it's speaking to a group of people who have lost hope. How shall their lost hope be recalled? How shall their courage be revived? How shall they be taught that death does not end it all? And to really find your life, you've got to be willing to lay it down. The transfiguration is the answer. The answer that would wake them in the middle of the long night. I would imagine that each of us can answer this question. Have you ever experienced one of those long nights when your hopes are dashed and your mind and your heart is filled with dread? A few years ago with El Nino, the storms that were created in, in the south, a, a devastating tornado went through a southern community and a TV reporter interviewed a third grade girl who, whose class, whose whole third grade class had to go out into the hallway while the tornado went over the school and the, and the reporter asked her the question, were you scared? And she said, well, no, I was praying to Jesus. You could just hear a third grader saying that prayer. Have you been crying and praying out to Jesus in the midst of a dark place? It is amazing the things that humans can endure when we have hope. Radio broadcaster Mort Krim tells of visiting a, a new Asian restaurant in, in their neighborhood. And he said the place was already filled with customers. They had only been open a day or two. It was just kind of remarkable. He said to the, to the waitress, this, this place looks like it's going to be quite a success. And she said, oh, I know it's going to be. The owner had to climb a mountain to get here. And she wasn't exaggerating. She went on to explain that um, the restaurant owner and his family ha had escaped from Cambodia and emigrated to the U.S. because of persecution under the communist government. They had literally climbed over a mountain in the dark of night to flee their country. And now they were in a new land and the family was working into the wee hours of, uh, of the day and, and she, the waitress said, and they never complain, they love it, they're just so happy to be here. And she knew because of their hard work and their uh, amount that they were determined that this place would be a success. We admire stories like that, don't we? The, the longer the night, the brighter the success shines in the light of day. But when you're in the middle of the dark, climbing the mountain to escape an oppressive government, or, or you're sitting at the bedside of a loved one who has just hours left to live, or you're lying in a hospital bed yourself and there are things that are, that are sticking out of you in tubes or you're going over your checkbook in the wee hours of the morning and you're wondering, how are we going to make this work? Or you're sitting up at night waiting for your teenage daughter who continues to make unhealthy decisions in her life. Whatever it is that your long night is today, it's in times like that that we must hold on to the promises of God. 
The disciples were in the dark night. They had left everything. They had placed their hopes in Jesus. And now Jesus, this Jesus who they thought was this Messiah who was going to come in and establish this kingdom, this earthly kingdom, he tells them he's going to be crucified. And it's there that their hearts are numb with disbelief that Luke writes these words. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, James, and John, and he went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as the flash of lightning. And then Luke writes, Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they fully awoke, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. In the middle of their long night, when their hearts are laden with anxiety and despair, the disciples became fully aware of the gospel. The disciples became fully aware that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. And the cloud and the voice that said, this is my son who I am chosen. The disciples knew exactly this is who they had placed their hope in. It really is him. And the fact that Jesus would be taken from them would not negate the promises brought to their lives. For there is a dawn that follows every darkness and hope that follows every despair. A beginning that follows every ending. The experience of the Mount of Transfiguration came at precisely a moment when the disciples were were prepared to believe the worst about their future. They're ready to throw up their hands in despair and resignation. And in in the middle of the long night, God showed himself and hope was delivered. I read a story of a woman who was losing her mother whom she called her dearest friend to cancer. Her mom was always supportive of her. She was the the clap that was always louder than all of the other parents at the school program. She was the one that held the tissue box uh, when she had her first heartbreak. She was the one that supported her when her dad passed away. She encouraged her in college. She, She prayed for her her entire life. And when her mother's illness was diagnosed, they looked at the family, the sister had just had a new baby, and the brother had just married his high school sweetheart. And so it fell on the 27-year-old middle child without entanglements to take care of mom. And she said it was a great honor. But now she sat at her mother's funeral. The hurt was so intense, she said it was hard to even breathe, and she was praying, what now, Lord? She sat on a hard pew, grieving. Her brother, her sister, had their families to hold on to, and she had no one. For her place had always been with her mother, preparing her meals and helping her to walk and taking her to the doctor and overseeing her medication and reading the Bible together, and now her mother was gone and she was alone. And the funeral service had started, and it hadn't been going very long, and she heard the, the loud door of the sanctuary open behind her, and she heard somebody coming up the aisle, and she looked up, and, and there was this, this young man there that, that looked exasperated, and, and he's looking around trying to find a place to, to sit. He, she doesn't recognize him, and, and he finally sits down next to her. And, and he leans over and says, I'm late. And she thinks, yeah, buddy. Um, but she has no idea who he is. After several eulogies, he leans over again to her and says, why do they keep calling Mary by the name of Margaret? And the woman looked at him and said, because her name is Margaret, 
Nobody calls her Mary. And she's wondering, why did this guy have to sit next to her? He thinks for a moment and, and turns back to her and says, no, her name is Mary, Mary Peters. The daughter said, no, it's not. The young man said, this is the Lutheran church, isn't it? She said, no, the Lutheran church is across the street. You're at the wrong funeral, sir. And the solemnness of the occasion mixed with the realization of, of, of how bad this guy has really bumbled things, um, she begins to laugh. And, and they've already kind of created a scene. I mean, you can whisper two or three times in a service like that, but you start into the four or five, people are noticing you. And, and she starts to laugh. You've been in those places, right, where it's just inappropriate to laugh, and so it comes out even harder. You've, I mean, I've watched some of you. It's true right here. It's happened. And so she starts laughing, and, and she, so she, she buries her face in, in her hands, thinking that she'll, she'll, people will think she's sobbing. Um, but, but the old wood pew is creaking as she's going up and down in attention, and she looks over at him, and now he begins to laugh. And, and there's just no way they can make a graceful exit, so they sit through the rest of the service. And when it was over, they stood to talk to each other, and he said to her, well, I'm, I'm guessing I'll be the talk of your family. Um, from now on. His name was Rick. And since he had just missed his aunt's funeral, he invited her, if she'd like at some point, to go to a cup of coffee. And that afternoon began a lifelong journey. A year later, this couple was married at a country church where he was associate pastor. This time they both arrived at the same church on time. (laughs) And the woman writes this. In my time of sorrow, God gave me laughter. And in my place of loneliness, God gave me love. And this past June, we celebrated our 22nd wedding anniversary. In the middle of our long night, God can bring hope. That's what the transfiguration is all about. These dispirited disciples needed at the moment to see the glory of Christ revealed. And you know, that didn't change the story. And it didn't change the circumstance. And it didn't change Jesus' destination. But when his glory was revealed to them, they could get their lives back on track. Because they'd seen him in a powerful way. And I'm convinced that there are some of us who need to see that in our lives. In the middle of of our long, dark night, we need to be reminded that God is still God and Christ is still Lord. And beyond the darkness, whatever the darkness there might be, there is a dawn that comes. I'm going to invite the musicians to return. And and as they're coming, I just wanted to share one other story with you. Dr. Hope Kohler had a situation on her hands. She was treating a patient at a hospital in Boston, five-year-old Billy, suffering from aggressive lymphoma. They had come to Boston, the family, for Billy's treatments, but they had arrived at at that moment where they knew that Billy was not going to survive. Billy's parents wanted their son to die in New Mexico at home, not in a Boston hospital, 
And yet they couldn't afford a flight at the last minute to take their whole family. And so, so Hope began to, to take up donations among the hospital staff and, and got enough for them to buy the tickets. And she went along with them. They got as far as Dallas. And Billy became too sick to continue the journey. The commercial error would not take him any farther. And so Hope got him checked in to, and admitted to a local hospital there in Dallas. And she stayed with him around the clock and, and with the family, comforting them, hoping to make him comfortable. In her conversations with the medical staff, she stumbled upon a doctor who owned an airplane who agreed that he would fly Billy home. And Billy died soon after landing in New Mexico. In addition to the names and the dates on Billy's tombstone, his parents wrote this one line. Hope brought him home. And I think that that line could be added to tombstones all over the world. Hope. Hope will bring us home. The experience of the Mount of Transfiguration, it restored the disciples' hope. They saw God in the midst of their dark place. And I'm very aware, and there's lots that I'm not aware of, we have folks in this very room that are in the middle of a long night. And you too might find yourself in circumstances that you wish that you weren't in. Maybe even desert circumstances like we talked last week. And this passage is, is a reminder to me that even in the tough places, even in the middle of the night, the God of the universe loves you so much that he wants to offer you his hope today. He did it for the disciples, and he'll do it again. He has done it countless times in stories that we could tell in this room of people who are here. He has done it, and he will do it again. He is exactly who he said he was. He is exactly who he said he is. And he, in the middle of our long nights, is exactly what you need. Will you call and invite him to make himself known? Will you invite him to be your hope in the middle of a dark place? I mean, I can't promise you that the circumstance, like the disciples, that the circumstance is going to change. I can promise you this. The God of hope wants to live in your circumstance. The God who loves so greatly wants to walk alongside of you and needs to remind you today, you aren't by yourself. He is exactly who he said he is. And he's coming back exactly as he said that he will. And we need to be reminded that the God who has been faithful will do it again. In fact, he'll do it today if we ask. Now I want to invite you in a moment to sing these words as our prayer. And if you want to pray in your seat like some did in first service, or you want to, you want to come and, and pray at the altar, that's open for you as well. Will you invite him to break in and bring hope?